Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Want to know the secrets of crowdfunding for creative projects? We did too. Listen in on this recording from June 25th, 2020. We spoke with Dana Schneider from IOBI, a nonprofit crowdfunding platform that helps community leaders raise money in their own backyards. She brought on guests from Detroit and New Orleans to share their crowdfunding stories during the pandemic. The conversation was part of the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking's Community Coffee Talk series. Welcome, everybody. If you're just joining us now, do continue to introduce yourself in the chat. We'd love to know who you are and where you're joining from. Uh, I'm going to get started. My name is Andrea Orlando. I am Community Director at the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking, and this is Community Coffee Talk. This is a new show that we're offering in response to the quarantine and the pandemic. We, we love meeting creative placemakers and creative innovators in person, but we can't do that right now. So we wanted to create a space where you could still come together and have conversations, especially now when we all have to think about how we shift the work that we're doing at this time. And so with that, if you're joining us on video, I will invite you to raise your mug and <laughs> and so we'll toast to being together this way and i can't wait until we actually can get together face to face it's going to be so wonderful to do that once again and so before we begin i'm going to share my screen and give you an idea of some of the rules that we like to follow here. So let me just open up. We have some ground rules. So like I said before, do introduce yourself in the chat. Uh, We're going to keep the chat open the whole time and we're going to record it. So we're going to document it. So do feel free to share contact information with each other and resources and we will share that out do be aware of that so if you, if you, if there's something that you do want to be confidential you know just just be aware of that you may want to contact somebody privately in that case we are going to video record this and we're going to take the audio and turn it into a podcast so again just be aware of that if you don't want to be on video you know just make sure that you turn your your video off Please, we are going to mute everybody right now because we're going to be talking to our guests and allowing them to talk about their projects. However, once that portion is over at about 1.22, we're going to open up your mics. So if you do uh, notice that you have a lot of background noise, just please, you know, be considerate and mute yourself and listen generously. You know, we, we, we ask for, for your participation and also for your attention. This is really a great opportunity to share ideas and learn. So, and once again, share resources in the chat. And so I am going to now introduce our guest. Uh, her name is Dana Schneider, and she is joining us from Brooklyn, where she works as community and growth manager for a nonprofit called IOBI, and she will explain a little bit more about what that name means. IOBI is a crowdfunding platform that offers hands-on grassroots fundraising coaching in an online platform for crowdfunding. You know, our two organizations, the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking and IOBI, have had a relationship that goes back at least a year and a half. They have been presenting at our Creative Placemaking Leadership Summits, and we're just so delighted to continue this relationship. And after quarantine, IOBI stepped up its efforts to assist leaders who were working directly on projects that address COVID-19 related challenges. And uh, she's gonna tell us a little bit more about that. And then she's gonna introduce 
three leaders who are doing some really important work in New Orleans and Detroit. So hi, Dana. <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. That was really, it's really like a talk show. It's like being uh, introduced by a, a special host. We're delighted to be here. We appreciate you and NCCP for inviting us to be part of this series. And yeah, we're really pleased. And I also want to acknowledge a few of my teammates are here as well. So although everyone's muted, I'm going to just say very briefly a few words about IOBI and I welcome them to also chime in later if there are things that they want to share about what we offer. And Andrea really hit it. We're a, a crowdfunding platform like other crowdfunding platforms that you've heard of, except better or more uh, enhanced or more wraparound in our services in many ways. So IOB stands for In Our Backyards. We believe that positive change starts in our own backyards. We believe that um, you know, the local is powerful, that you're an expert on what your neighborhood and what your community needs. And so anyone with an idea can come to us to crowdfund on our platform, but also to get hands-on coaching around fundraising strategy and support around how to build your plan, how to prospect, how to ask kind of getting that hands-on support every step of the way and also help with implementation of your project. So we'll help connect you with experts, with policymakers, with folks who can help you, you know, get permits that you might need or address different challenges and jump through different hoops in your community, as well as networking and learning opportunities like this one. This is a great example of a partnership that we're doing, but we have many webinars that we host on our own or with other partners. We, you know, as Andrea referenced, do trainings at conferences of other organizations. Before the time that we couldn't be together, we offered lots of in-person programs, et cetera, et cetera. We also were a national platform based here in Brooklyn, New York, but we do have what we call action strategists on the ground in a number of cities. So we have offices in Cincinnati, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Memphis. In those towns, we have folks who are essentially like community organizers who are working in the community to partner with folks who have ideas to build out their projects and to help them fundraise, you know, in sort of an in-person way. And we have a team of coaches in Brooklyn that, that works with projects nationally or who are with folks who are in towns where we don't have an office. Um, we also offer fiscal sponsorship. So we work with individuals, anyone can have an idea that they bring to us. And then the gifts that you raise on IOB will be tax deductible because we will offer you the umbrella of legal fiscal sponsorship with IOB. And then we also work with nonprofits who are already C3s. So either scenario, and that means that we work with folks to raise $300 and $100,000. We have, you know, we believe that small is big, but we work with folks at every level. So I think that I'm going to leave it there. I think the last thing I'll say is that we also offer special match programs at certain times. And I want to particularly mention and lift up, lift up in this moment, um, or for this crowd, that we just completed an artist's lead match that was uh, made possible in partnership with ArtPlace. And so for those types of matches, we put out a call for particular criteria around certain types of projects, folks can come to us, and then you, what you crowdfund with us is matched by that match fund up to a certain amount. So we're super grateful for, um, you know, for the, the funders and agencies who work with us to make those matches possible. And iob.org slash matches is where you'll see upcoming match programs and there'll be others for creative placemakers coming down the pike. And I'm gonna put it in the chat, iob.org slash idea is where you would go if you have an idea wanting to work with us. And then the very last thing I'll say is that Andrea referenced that we were able to pivot in this time and kind of step up to work with response projects in the in this time of pandemic. And that's been, although it's been, although I want to acknowledge that it's a been a really hard and challenging and painful time on a number of fronts. And I want us to all kind of like, you know, take a moment to say like, we appreciate you spending an hour with us amidst everything that's going on, both on the kind of uprising and violence and, um, and, you know, police brutality front, and then also on the front of, of dealing with the, this ongoing pandemic. But IOB is, was able to step into a space where we particularly were able to offer our services around mutual aid groups. So many of them are fundraising with us now. That includes things like virtual tip jars, um, offering direct cash assistance, offering other kinds of services and supplies to folks who were needing relief in this moment of both health and economic crisis. And we are, so we're always, so we've been, although it's been very hard times for many, many people, we've been gratified and honored to be able to step into a space where we've been able to authentically help make a difference and to offer a way to partner with people who, um, who really are experts on what their neighbors need now. Um, 
So we're going to hear from three project leaders, and I want to turn it over to them to do most of the talking in this hour. Because of the work that NCCP does, we looked for project leaders for this conversation who are folks working in, in public art. But because we can't be together to see kind of art in its place, we wanted to hear from these project leaders about how they pivoted um, to do their work in the context of COVID-19. So I'll, I'll just call on them one at a time and then we'll open up the conversation for everyone. We have two, art, two wonderful IOB project leaders and artistic innovators from Detroit and one from New Orleans with us today. And Amelia, do you wanna start and just give us an overview of your work, kind of maybe your inspiration, how you pivoted in this time. And um, if you wanna say anything about your work with IOB, you certainly can, but we can also get into more questions after. And I'm gonna, you know, we just have a handful of minutes to go through that and then we'll talk together. So Amelia, why don't you go first? Thank you, Dana. It's so great to be here uh, today with all of you. So thank you for convening us and for inviting us to speak. Um, like you said, my name is Amelia Duran. I am born and raised fifth generation Southwest Detroiter on my mother's side, first generation on my father's. My father is originally from Chile. He is a Latin American folk musician and he is the heart of Garaje Cultural, he's the founder. Almost 10 years ago, uh, it was established in Southwest Detroit to kind of create a safe space for the Latino community there. Focused on arts and culture, really trying to ensure that the things that are left behind during the migration process um, are not forgotten by the next generation through assimilation processes and things like that. It's also a creative partnership between uh, for-profit and, and non-profit, being that we're housed in a building that is owned by Hacienda Mexican Foods, which is one of the local tortilla manufacturers. So Lydia Gutierrez is credited as being the co-founder of the space together with my father. I came into the work about four years ago. My background was in uh, nonprofit management, more brick and mortar, subsidized housing, park renovations, and things like that. But when you're from a family of artists, you're kind of always doing the work in proximity. And so at some point, um, four years ago, I decided that if the center was going to kind of reach the next stage in development um, and become you know, more than just a grassroots, uh, loosey-goosey project-based organization with no paid staff that some things had to be kind of put in place and some initiatives had to be kind of, I don't know, structured in a way that, that is growing the work for us to eventually be able to have staff and be able to support the building on our own. The building is an 18,000 square foot raw warehouse space that was developed over about a year through sweat equity, recycled materials, and whatever my dad um, could really get his hands on and whoever was going to support him. So it's a very unique space. Um, so that's kind of the lowdown of Garaje. <laughs> our, our, our initiatives are basically summer programs with youths doing uh, music and visual arts performance, also sometimes depending on which people are available to work with us. Art on the Block is an initiative that started very organically about 10 years ago, also doing public large-scale murals in our community. We've done about 15, I think, is the tally to date. Um, but at the time, you know, when we were doing public art, we really viewed it as a tour, tool for survival. Um, when you're surrounded by so much dilapidation and disinvestment, um, we realized, you know, putting a beautiful mural on a building that doesn't really necessarily have any other, you know, utility has the ability to really kind of positively affect people's psyches and the way that they perceive their surroundings. I know, you know, over the last five years, it's been a little, we're kind of feeling our way through that and understanding that the narrative behind the murals is really important to kind of curb that and telling why we do this work, who's involved in it and, and what it, it was intended to do and what it, we hope that it will continue to, to do into the future even as development starts to encroach on our community. The third prong of our work is a project called NOISE. Uh, it's an acronym for neighborhood office and incubator space and a, a play off of Livernois Avenue where we're located. And it's a project that we've been working on for three years to renovate an additional piece of our warehouse to do hyper-local kind of incubator co-working with community coffee shop. We had one coffee shop in, in Southwest for nine, nine years and went away. And when that went away, we realized how important that was in terms of building our social fabric with each other and people having conversations that weren't planned and projects that springboarded from that. And so 
it's a huge development project uh, that, that we're hoping will get started uh, at some point this year. You know, we've had a lot of obstacles and COVID is now another one of those to kind of uh, figure out where we're at. So that's kind of the whole of what Garaje does. In terms of adapting to COVID, you know, it's been, it's been kind of day to day in some ways. Being that we're so small and we don't really have paid staff, uh, it's been challenging, but I think, you know, there's been some room for creative projects, including the one that we did with IOB. Um, and we're just kind of doing the best that we can in this moment without feeling the pressure of having to keep up with larger organizations and taking everything online was something that we pushed back really early on with our funders saying our population doesn't live online. Um, it's not how we do work. It's not how we want to do work. And so just being, you know, graceful with ourselves and with our community and what what can can happen in an environment like that i feel like in the last month <laughs> things were thrown for a whole nother loop with black lives matter movement taking the forefront and i think a lot of uh, activist organizers spaces and so in some ways we've shifted again and and went from you know being very cautious about what we were doing aren't um to letting the next generation kind of push us towards being okay with being out in the streets again and, and being in community in a way that we hope is still safe, but um, is, you know, extremely important in this moment in terms of the momentum of the movement. And so that's all I'll say, I guess, for now, if you want me to talk about IOB a little bit later in the project that we did um, before all the stuff popped off for us, you know, uh, was it March 29th? No, May 29th. May 29th was the first protest in Detroit, so. Awesome, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, Eno, do you want to jump in real quick and tell us about your work? Hi, everybody. Eno Legay is um, an alias that I work under. I, I work as an independent artist in Detroit, and I, and I mostly function outside institution or any, any really kind of consecration by the mainstream. I work with uh, two collectives. One is Make Art Work, that, and I'm a resident artist there at the Recycle Center on Holden Street, uh, which is also responsible for Lincoln Street Art Park. Generally over there, it's a, I guess what you'd call somewhat of a organic or grassroots, almost temporary autonomous zone where people come to share. And, and because of the Recycle Center, a, uh, a very strong community of people participate in a lot of activities in that space. I, I also am connected with um, another collective in the city, oneartscollective.org, and that's a group of mostly artists of faith who um, trying to find the balance between living in, in the world and not of the world. The, the IOB page for COVID was a pivot and it, it came at a time in late March. What got me motivated was uh, Detroit police broke up a party of more than 100 people in Rouge Park on the west side of the city. And I think they may have arrested a couple of people because essentially that crowd was defying the shelter in place order. And it got me thinking about what I understand about the nature of communication in Detroit. And it was clear to me that to reach out to people in the city that generally don't trust authority, because there's a long history of people in Detroit understanding that the um, the prevailing structures aren't necessarily designed for them. And so the initial idea for the COVID IOB project was to meet people on the street where they are and speak to them directly about the, uh, the dangers. And, you know, back in March, it was really clear that everybody was, you know, that the governor, the mayor of Detroit, they're all saying, look, if we, if we don't slow down this curve of infection, we're going to have a lot of trouble. So the initial billboard design was basically a straight up on the street, designed to be a straight up on the street message 
to the people to literally stay home, bro, straight up. Unfortunately, we only got about a third of the funding we needed to do 14 billboards. And, and as time went on, the, the virus infection flattened. And, and uh, by the end of our window to fundraise, we really couldn't, couldn't do the billboards and the shelter in place was lifted. So I, I guess really the, the only really important thing to say is I started working on the design of the billboard before Iobi announced the pivot to COVID. So I was already a week into trying to design a billboard and Brooke, your point person in Detroit, sent me an email saying, hey, we're going to be sponsoring COVID-related outreaches. So I think it was Linda Allen. I literally put it together and over that weekend, I think it was Linda Allen who helped me get the page up. And the reason I was getting this communication is because I already had another IOBI page going up on the east side, which is, is still up. So we're still in process. I just reworked our, our page with a new message. And hopefully we can meet our goal. And within the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping we'll be able to, to uh, purchase 14 billboards across the neighborhoods. Thank you, you know, and, and I'll just say for visuals, we're going to post the links to these, the campaign pages on IOB in the chat so that folks can see some of the images of this work. I know, you know, you know, just, you know, Amelia referenced her building, you know, referenced the billboards and you'll get to take a look at those if you watch the chat in a moment. So we're going to have a lot, we're going to have more time for conversations. I want to keep us moving for the intros. So Lindsay, do you want to jump right in and say some words about Revelry New Orleans? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay Glatz from New Orleans. I'm both an arts administrator during the day and at night an artist, so I kind of straddle both sides. This project, our project actually started out as a, and I have slides, so I'll pop those up for, for y'all to look at. This project started as, we actually applied initially to the Artist Lead project for creative placemaking. Mm -hmm. So I'll get this up one minute. And Revelry, the, the idea about Revelry was that we wanted to highlight what makes, you know, creative placemaking, what makes New Orleans great. And anytime I think about that, I'm, I'm immediately brought to this quote from Alice Marcellus. In other places, culture comes down from on high. In New Orleans, it bubbles up from the streets. And that really says a lot about our culture and our space here in New Orleans. This is a picture of New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. I hope some of you may have come. If you haven't, please come down and experience this. This is my husband and I, the day after he proposed. So it has, this festival has a very personal connection to us and my work. We, as we were thinking about projects to apply for the artist lead and placemaking, we thought about this because one of the things that makes this festival great is actually what happens outside of the festival. And it's an, this incredible experience of as people leave the festival grounds, they're, they're placed into a neighborhood and the neighborhood fills up with people and artists and musicians. And you know, when I think of creative placemaking, this is just a perfect example of that. Um, but over the past few years, the last three years of the festival, when it occurred, there became more restrictions that were happening. So police would shut down musicians that were in the streets, even if they had permits. And so there was a lot of regulation that was kind of preventing this type of gathering from happening. And for for us, and you know, personally, this is, again, it's my favorite part of the year. You know, there's people who open up their homes and invite people into their spaces. And you know, they may travel from other countries and they see each other you know, only once a year during this festival. So it's really about this, this really strong community building and something that you know, we, we wanted to protect. So our idea for this project, and this kind of shows what happened. So the last year, it, it definitely got um, more play and was much more prevalent. And so we decided, you know, we, we want to figure out a creative solution to prevent this from happening, to allow our, our street musicians, you know, the culture that bubbles up from the streets to be present and, and expose people to that, not just what you see on the main stages, but to see the true culture of New Orleans at work. So what we decided to do was to create these, I, I'd already been working with these streamer installations. Um, this is an installation of the CAC, but we decided to combine something very visual 
with a community activation campaign to talk about, um, to use this visual as something like, wow, this is new, this is different, and work with the homeowners and the neighborhood to talk through, you know, let them know that the musicians were coming, like we've, you know, we've got their permits, like making sure that we were on the up and up with the neighborhood, but also then to start a petition to make sure that, you know, we were connecting with the police officers who are enforcing these issues and making sure that this was, this was something that the community wanted. So this project really required us to have access to homes, to spaces, to places, and of course was tied to a major event in the spring of this year. Um, so when COVID hit, we, we were just, a, we, had ju we had applied and were about to launch the campaign and then sort of heard the rumoring, you know, the rumblings of COVID and that, you know, live events were being canceled. So we decided to pause on the campaign. And after, you know, realizing Jazz Fest was canceled for this year, we looked at, you know, how can we, should we just pause it? And then one of the things that really came up for us is that the artists, the musicians, and in particularly the live event workers who put on these festivals are really hurting. And so we decided to move forward. Having the artists, this is what we had envisioned was a very massive, you know, time intensive installation and requires a lot of people to participate. So can we get funding through, IO our decision was to try to get funding through IOB to pivot the installation and to provide an opportunity to pay workers, uh, you know, musicians and people who this project already would have affected, but allow them to get payment for their time to, to help us co-create this work. So, and then again, we, we've been waiting slowly on, you know, at what point do we, we thought about doing it during Jazz Fest, but again, having access to homes and public safety. Um, one of our team members lost someone very close to them to COVID who was, you know, only 39. So it was really we decided let's wait on the on the project. And at the same time, we also lost our, our inspiration for the project. Ellis Marcellus passed away, along with you know many other New Orleanians and you know people across the country. So one of the other things that has happened through this project is that, and through you know the experience of COVID, is that we one of our you know New Orleans is a city where we we live with life and death very closely, and so you know we have celebrations, second lines, and I'll I'll put a link into the chat, and you know it's a way that we celebrate those, and particularly you know cultural leaders who have been lost. So we're looking right now with our project, we're identifying the location. To, you, to for this installation to be placed that's public that's in a private you know public park so it's not us accessing different individual spaces and then also to to put this up in celebration of those who are lost because we can't have our second line musician you know parades and the things that we used to do to sort of honor those who have passed so for us it was really great that iobi allowed us to take what had been a creative placemaking project but work with us to identify the ways that you know, we were able to pivot to impact those affected by COVID who musicians and artists and folks who have lost, you know, earning income potential through what is really in New Orleans, our spring season has, you know, is a huge revenue generating opportunity for, for our artists. So that ability to pivot, to be independent, to, you know, be flexible with us on this, on this campaign has been really great. And I think, you know, the direction from IOB has been spectacular as well. So I will leave it at that. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks to all of you. Oh, Andrea, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I just, I was going to say thank you. And we're now going to start taking questions. So I invite you to start writing those into the chat. And while we're waiting for the chat to populate, you know, Dana is going to start us off with a couple of questions. And we are also going to, in, in a minute, unmute everybody. So just please be aware of the noise that's in your background. And so, yeah, so we, uh, Dana. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go right to, I had, I had a few different questions prepared and this was at the, this was at the bottom of my list physically, but I'm going to go straight to it because it's, um, it's one that I enjoy. So I, I, you know, thank you so much, first of all, for spending time with us and for talking about the creative work you're doing. That's super powerful. Um, I wish everyone could have a full hour with each of you. It's like, I feel bad kind of rushing through the conversation, but I do want to get voices of attendees in. And so uh, again, I'll encourage people, please put your questions in the chat. So thanks for giving a, us a picture of your work and a picture of how you've pivoted in this time, which is challenging and also like beautiful the way you're stepping into that. And, and also talking a little bit about how you kind of thought to work with IOB, but I'm going to ask a question that we love 
talking about at IOBI, which is what advice would you give? I'm going to go straight to the fundraising piece, right? So like in this Mm -hmm. moment of having to ask, we're hearing so much from people that like, it's hard to ask with everything going on. So what advice would you give to other creative leaders and to other kind of creative placemakers and artists out there about how to step over being uncomfortable asking for funds or how to sit with it and do it anyway? Um, And I know, you know, like you said, some of the work you haven't maybe met your full goal yet, but you're still plugging away at it. So it's like, there's success and there's also stuff that's hard and that's all real, but like, how are are you kind of doing it and staying in that process? Uh, Any of you, please. Well, so we're all failing forward. So the the whole thing about asking in a in a time of crisis yeah certainly i had trouble with that the simple thing i will say is my experience has shown me that the combination of respect and trust and building relationships makes all the difference and the people who have contributed um essentially i know personally or i have relationships with and let's face it, it's really hard to get people's attention at a, at a time like this. And the other thing I'll say is I really appreciate the guidelines that IOBI provided in terms of how to go about asking and how to follow up and just the procedures I found very helpful, even though we haven't reached our, our goal yet. Yeah. Amelia or Lindsay, do, thank you. You know, that's super helpful to hear. I, I'm, Amelia and Lindsay, do you have thoughts about that piece of kind of like jumping into the money in this moment? It is, it is really hard, I think, for us in general to ask, not even necessarily just because of the climate. I think that adds a whole other layer to it. But as an organization that's been around for almost 10 years, we've only done direct asks. This would be the third time. And, and it, you know, it's, we're dealing with a population that's already pretty strained and I think what Eno said is true it's really all about the relationships that you build uh, with both your constituencies and those people who you know appreciate your work and maybe have a little bit more discretionary funds available to them so so yeah it was definitely a little bit you know out of our comfort zone to do this project but in some ways you know we went forward with it because we saw that there was a need coming from the artist community in Detroit at the time. Um, There were a lot of things being pushed out on a national scale, but the feedback that we were getting was that the processes seemed a little bit um, cumbersome and and then, you know, more competitive when you're applying to an artist fund that is a national fund versus a local one where you may, you know, already have established relationships. So in some ways, we we just kind of wanted to be a a pass-through to some extent without overcomplicating the process for the artists. Um, and do some cool things that were creative considering the constraints of COVID. And so uh, we feel really fortunate to have been able to do the project, but it's not easy. <laughs> you know, crowdfunding is not easy. And, and I think for me personally, you know, it's, it's something that I've had to kind of get over in the last year and a half. And, and like you said, work through it and understand that there is value in the work that we do and that the people that can support will and the people that can't, um, we're always very conscious of, of making sure that even within the narratives that we put out asking for support, that we put something in there that says, you know, if you can't support financially, here's our other ways for you to engage with us. We appreciate people, you know, whether you donated $5 or $500 or $0 and offered to support us in some other capacity. And so that is always front and center in our asks. Because I think for us, one of the things that we realize over the years is that, you know, validation comes free and, and it has the ability to really motivate community, right? Validating people regardless of the role that they're playing in the work without putting, you know, a value add to that role that is somehow hierarchical. And so it's a, it's a great point that people can give other things that it's and also just that it's like it's not it's out of your comfort zone. And that's sometimes where you have to be right. Um, yeah. And, and, the work, but also yeah. that you can ask for more than money. Yeah. And even and even in our, our application, even with the artists that we were, you know, asking to kind of humble themselves enough to ask for support, because that was another thing mm. that I think was something we had to work through is that, you know, I feel like some artists maybe were hesitant because maybe they weren't feeling like they were the ones that were within yeah. the category of what the need right. was or whatever. So really putting in there, you know, that, that there was a lot of ways for you to ask for support 
in a way that makes you feel comfortable without it being super um, restrictive in terms of what we were expecting them to do for these funds. <laughs> it wasn't about that. It was about right. let's get these artists some funds. Um, right. And also saying that that's important to this moment, that the arts matters and that right. they make them. Yeah. Feel yeah. And that we're, it's just a way for us to continue to grow our relationships and that trust in terms of um, what a cooperative economic model looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's terrific. Lindsay, did you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, I think, you know, the main thing is just, I mean, really now finding that emotional, but also like factual or, you know, information around, around the ask. So for us, we're really tying into, you know, New Orleans culture. And, you know, this is like arts and culture is why people move to this city. We've got a lot of problems, but it's, it's the reason that our culture is so rich and, you know, it's a driver of the economy and we need to support the people in the front lines of that that are really hurting at this moment. You know, I come from media background. So also thinking about looking at our campaign in ways that we're able to segment out and maybe not just always doing the arts pitch. So we're tapping into just, you know, people who we know are, you know, music lovers and go to festivals and like, this is a project that we want you to support and sort of figuring out maybe things that might be a little bit non-traditional from the ask to, to go and find funders because, you know, we know our traditional funders are being hit up left and right. So it's, it's kind of finding people and, you know, we've, you know, we're waiting. And one of the things I really loved about the AOB process is, you know, you have sort of in a launch and a quiet phase. And I think we're still in the quiet phase, but one of the things once our location is set that we're pu pushing out is that, you know, you people have saved all this money by not going to these events. Like, can you give us $5 or $10 that you would have, would have gone to a ticket or an experience mm. to help keep it going. And so that's been, I think, really great. And also just helping try to inspire people, you know, with, with crowdfunding. They, what I love about the AOB platform is that you can stretch or you can grow. It's not a Kickstarter, um, you know, where it's like all in. So we're trying to also talk with people, like if we get $2,500, this is what we can do, and 5,000 and 10,000, so that we can potentially, you know, inspire people to give more and just be part of the process and, and make them a part of our story and, you know, ways that we can involve them um, in the experience so that they feel invested and inspired by the work. Mm -hmm. We have a great question from uh, Leo Vasquez about how many people do you need to ask to help to reach uh, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 or more? And I'll just say, I saw that question, if Jennifer or Leslie or anyone else from IOB wants to jump in and talk about how you, because there's specific ways that we talk to folks about building their base of asks. And I, I always like to say fund, fundraising is more an art than a science. So I don't know that we can give you an exact number, except that we ask people to like, uh, you know, look at their relationships and, you know, dig deep on who makes sense to put on that list. But if, if any of the lead project leaders or coaches have anything more specific to add, I'll welcome that. I can just say something really quickly. Yeah, it really depends. And yeah. that's part of why we have fundraising coaches so that they can work on your particular strategy and get a sense of who's in your social network, who's helping you do asks, um, what events do you have planned? So it, it really is, there is no one answer, but it really is about sort of like right sizing a goal for your particular project and context. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I'll just yeah. build on what Jennifer said. And one of the things that we do when we coach any of our neighborhood leaders that are crowdfunding with us is we walk them through kind of a strategy workshop for their or worksheet for their campaign where we really break it down and say, okay, first you shouldn't be fundraising by yourself. Um, you want to build a team. And if you've got a thousand dollar goal, how many people do you know would give $25? How many people do you know would give 50 and really get them to put those names to paper so that it is real to them and they know where to go and who who is capable of what level of dollars. So it makes it more real for them. I have a, a follow-up question for the IOB leaders. One of you said that the advice from IOB was really helpful. What was the best piece of advice? <laughs> <laughs> if there was one thing that was like super helpful, I wonder if one of you would like to talk about what that was. Andrea, you're commercial. We didn't even plant that question. Straight <laughs> up. Thank Straight you. up, everything your mom said about being polite and thankful, you know, having the reminder to follow up, thank, thank your donors, and 
I mean, the list was very helpful for me. It's like, it's things I know, but at the same time, having a checklist to go through to follow made it less shaky for us to, re to reach out to people. Thanks, you know. Any others have thoughts on that specifically? I would, um, I would echo that just with the, the worksheet is so helpful. You know, fundraising in general can feel overwhelming, but having that step-by-step -step guide really, really takes you through. I think another tip that was great was to sort of approach the people who are invested in the inner circle first, and they're potentially your higher, more higher-end donors, so that getting, reaching out to them before you're launching the full, you know, publicly and the full campaign, I think helps you get a sense of, you know, what is achievable within the space. So mm -hmm. that's, that's really great. To, so you're not setting yourself up for kind of unrealistic expectations or feeling, you know, challenged. I'm going to invite Media Arts Santa Ana to unmute if you'd like to. They have a really good question. Are there crowdfunding strategies or approaches that would help communicate to city officials the importance of continuing to allocate funds for the arts and creative placemaking while they are cutting budgets as a result of the pandemic? Is there anything, uh, if you'd like to unmute, is there anything you'd want to add to the question? Yes, I think that you know, as uh, we've also seen festivals defunded in the past couple of years that were really important to the character and quality of life of the residents. But in this time of, of budget cutting as a result of, of the pandemic, the built environment is so important and it's very easy for cities to prioritize police and other kind of quote essential expenditures and think that this is not uh, important, but yet the, the impact on the residents of creating that livability of of creating inclusion and calming uh, and participation that comes from placemaking and and the arts uh, is probably is usually the first to go. But uh, you know, as we've seen before, but in this current pandemic, you know the the usual arguments I think need to be strengthened. I welcome anyone to jump in on your experience, anyone from AOB or any of our project leaders. I mean, I will say that part of what we believe is you know. The budget, public budgets should be there and we want to complement them with the work that folks are doing to raise the money, right? Although we know that we're working with, that we prioritize working with types of projects and communities that have been disinvested, we're not stepping in to raise that money to say that it shouldn't be coming from city budgets and government budgets. Uh, we, want to, we want to lift up both and have, you know, as much resource as possible. So I think but I don't have a specific strategy to offer. It's um, about the kind of work we want to see, keeping it, using crowdfunding to keep it strong, and that that showing those successes hopefully as part of continuing to advocate for keeping public budget money coming into those streams of projects as well. Well, the the question bumps up against kind of the contradictory agendas that are sort of built into the entities we're talking about. You know, municipalities, you know, one way to look at it is they tend to see placemaking as an opportunity for economic development. Mm. And the free slope is private investment that basically leads to the big G, gentrification. Yeah. So it, it's a really important thing because we, we all have seen how artists have, have been exploited as the flying wedge of gentrification. So really important question. One of the reasons I mostly function outside of the whole institutional system. Thank May you. I say something about that too? Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Sarah Hughes. I run an organization called Rock the Possibilities in Rochester, New York. And um, to the point of, of trying to get institutional or structural, you know, power folks to advocate on the behalf of folks that are really trying to change a culture of, of top-down, you know, creatives and artists tend to lead the vanguard of, of new thinking and, and imagining a world as it could be instead of how it is kind of thing. So I found with all of my projects, it's been almost impossible to get any kind of institutional support because we're talking about empowering young people through creative arts to challenge power structures. They're not, they're not a big fan of that. So I'm just, I'm, I'm on the same page of thinking that we have an opportunity in this moment where traditionally, traditional funding sources are 
not going to happen to be creative in how we source what we need. Um, here in Rochester, there's been a tremendous um, development of mutual aid and um, among artists, among social workers and other community members who aren't being able to do their jobs the traditional way, just creating new networks of communication and who needs what and who has what. And, you know, instead of consuming more, using what we have to demonstrate new ways of doing things. So I think there's a lot of potential in that. What I will say is that, thank you for that, Sarah. What I will say is that, yes, it's a moment for us to step into looking at creative ways of, of resourcing our work and, you know, and, and working with IOB and our model of crowdfunding is one of those. I'll also say that it doesn't speak to every concern that you all are expressing. As I said, you know, we want there to be more um, priority from, you know, government funding and not to see budgets going away as, as they are as has been mentioned, but, but IOB, in addition to working with our individual projects, as I mentioned, our match funds, you know, we do try to leverage institutional funding to help double money for projects that are crowdfunding with us, and that goes for both foundations and, um, at times, government agencies. I mean, it depends on the, the opportunities, and they're sometimes very specific, you know, criteria or different areas that we're working in, um, but, you know, we have worked with local government agencies on um, leveraging funding to kind of work with resourcing, sort of kind of double resourcing the projects that are working with us. And in addition, we've heard from folks that there are ways that once they raise money with us, that they're able to go to, maybe not to change city local budgets, but to go to foundations and other institutional funders to, to get funding that way as well, once they kind of have, can show that they've done a successful campaign. So that's just an offering. I'm going to interject here and just give the IOB leaders, uh, just let you know that you're also welcome to ask questions of uh, the people who are here with us on the call, just to let you know it's an option. And we have time for maybe a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Lindsay, Amelia, you know, do you have... Or I would say if there are questions or if for closing thoughts, as we see if other questions come in, if there's something very specific, a final nugget, a quick, like 30 seconds of something you would share about either a success or a challenge, right? Like, or maybe it's like one gift that came in that was a really successful ask or um, one thing that was really hard. So we can get a real concrete sense super quick in these last few minutes. Um, I think oh, I was just thinking too, you know, thinking about campaigns and ideas that you're looking to do. I would say, you know, we all know realistically fundraising is going to be challenging for the next, for the near future. So thinking about ways that you can leverage things that people have um, or find partners. So for our project, one of the things we had originally budget, budgeted for that we're looking at to find an in-kind source for is like a, a boom lift. You know, can we find a we've been talking to a landscaping company about can they work with us and be a sponsor of the project. So, you know, I think just thinking about what you want to do and, and looking into more of the barter and trade economy for the, for the near future would be good. Yeah. I think I'll just piggyback on what Lindsay's saying. I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I mean, relevant, not, not necessarily the crowdfunding, but just in terms of what we've been experiencing over the last, I would say month now that we are back out, doing things in community and figuring out how how to do it in a safe way. Reflections are that this moment is also forcing us to really think about simplifying the way that we do things, I guess is what I want to say. Not overcomplicating processes has been really helpful. You know, before I think um, a lot of us have been stuck in this like planning mode, right? Like we plan, we, we plan a lot. We spend a lot of time doing meetings, talking, planning, and the moment, not only of Black Lives Matter movement, but um, COVID as well, is forces to kind of just simplify everything. And, you know, I'm not going to 20 million stores when we're having an event because I need, you know, tablecloths or whatever. It's like, we'll just use whatever the hell we have. And, and, and that, in some ways, has been really beautiful because it does allow for this kind of bartering, trading, like, well, what do you have and how can you support? Where before, I think, um, when you're a small arts organization in a community where everybody's doing a lot of really great work, I, at least personally, sometimes have a hard time asking people to do more work, knowing that I don't have always the amount of funds that, that would merit that kind of um, exchange. And so I think that there's a beauty and simplicity in this moment and a beauty in understanding that everyone has the ability to step forward or step back. I've done a lot of step back 
stepping back in this moment and just listening to the younger generation. What do they want to do? How do they want to lead? You know, change is hard no matter how old you are. And I'm in this weird crux where I'm 40 and I can understand both sides, right? Um, and intergenerational work is really important to us. So um, I'll just say that, that, you know, you might not need as much money as you thought if you're really um, working closely with people who are, are excited and passionate about the same things that you are. Thank Last you. questions? Sorry, go ahead, Andrea. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I just wanted to say to Amelia, I, I was really struck by something that you said earlier, which was our, our population really doesn't really live online. And I, I just mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting because uh, it does seem there's a lot of pressure coming from all sides to, you know, do something that maybe isn't doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and we can spin our wheels doing that. You know, we did, we've done a lot of like art contests with schools in the past. And so we were like, okay, we're going to do one online. You know, and we did a one, you know, focusing on environmental justice um, and the engagement is just not there. And so you're like, well, why did we spend all the time doing that if we got, you know, five uh, submissions and those five submissions are still great. Like I'm still happy that we engaged those five people, but um, it just really makes you consider like where your time is valuable and what you want to put it in, in terms of the population that you're serving. Yeah. Know your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is the part that I don't like doing. I, I have to say that we're, you know, this is coming to an end and, and make sure that I respect everybody's, you know, valuable time and attention. Uh, we, you know, we do have to close this, but I like to think of this as the beginning of a conversation rather than a beginning and an end. So uh, we'll be sharing what you have shared in the chat and we, we love our follow-ups. So we're going to be sending you links and uh, a video and uh, more goodies. And uh, we, we do hope that you'll follow us and continue to participate in our programs here at the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Best way to do that is to just register for our website. It's C is in creative, P is in placemaking, communities.org slash subscribe. And uh, I know that, and I wanna thank everybody, everybody, uh, especially our OAOB leaders for, for taking the time to, to share with this community of uh, innovative leaders and Dana especially it's great to meet you yeah it really is and Dana and I have been you know communicating for gosh a month yeah we've been scheming this up so it's wonderful to be together yeah and thanks everyone for your time and and for not just time but the creative energy and attention that it takes to fully show up for a conversation with everything that's going on in in our lives and in the world right now so yeah and and Dana um if people want to reach out to you, what is the best way? Yeah, thank you. I just dropped it in the chat. So remember um, IOBY.org and just Dana, D-A-N-A at IOB.org. I'm happy to answer questions or to link you up to who you need. If you have an idea, you can either email me and I'll get you the link or go straight to IOB.org slash idea. All it takes is a minute. We don't expect a lot from you and a coach or someone on our team will follow up with you with a call if you're interested in even just exploring working with us on something. So, and we have lots of programs like this as well. So we'll be in touch with everyone on this call about future programming uh, as well. So, and please do share the videos, share the videos and the audio out. I will, I will. And I'll be sending out a survey too. So yeah. um, if you could take a, just a moment to fill out a survey, it would help everybody. So thank you. You've been listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Subscribe to our website and let us know what you'd like to talk about. Bye for now.